The heart of Sharjah. Life beats. Life beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse ninety five. Yes, hello and welcome back to the second hour of Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. Hello, Allah. Now you are about to meet someone who has asked the question. What is my purpose in this world? And he has traveled the world to help people to figure it out. Some of us haven't figured it out. A lot of us certainly do not. Get ready because Cornell Thomas will be joining me in just a moment to share his extraordinary story and help us answer that question. Why are we here? And the answer might surprise you. So don't miss the conversation with him next on Life Beats with me, Sally Musa on Pulse 95. Talk about radio. It's Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Life Beats Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I cannot. Okay, so this is a quote from none other Tony Robbins. Cornell Thomas is an up-and-coming thought leader that will inspire you to not only do more, but be more. His book, Extraordinary, will give you the psychology and skills needed to bridge the gap between good and outstanding to take your life to the next level. I'm just going to forget the rest and just introduce the man himself, Cornell Thomas. Welcome to Life Beats. Thank you so much for having me here, Sally. I'm so glad that you are uh, finally here uh, with me in the studio. Um, Now, as we know that you are an international speaker, you're an author, you're a social entrepreneur, a former basketball player, a mindset coach, and even a Renzo Gracie black belt. Okay, that's kind of (laughs) cool. However... That doesn't impress me. Oh, okay. As Shania, Shania Twain says, that don't impress me much. Yeah. You've got an incredible story and um, I got to hear it and I was I was really amazed. And what you do, traveling the world and talking to people every single day, this is uh, what I want you to tell us about and to talk about. Who are you really? Who am I really? Mm. Okay, well, I'm all those things that don't impress you. But I would say <laughs> <laughs> that... I am who I am because of my mother. I was raised by the great Tina Thomas. Uh, Ever since I was three years old, I remember just having her in my life because my father passed away when I was very young. Uh, My father was a police officer in the city of Passaic, New Jersey, did amazing things in the city of Passaic, New Jersey, but I didn't have a connection to my father. I didn't know my father. So all I remember from three years old is my mom raising five of us on her own with no money. So when my father passed away, He left my mom the task of raising all these kids and then having to figure it out. So I remember, I think I was like five years old. My first like life lesson my mom told me was everything happens for a reason. I was five and I had no idea what she was talking about. (laughs) You were like, what? Wait, okay, what'd you say, Yoda? Like I had no idea what she was talking about. But as I grew older, I realized that it was just setting our mindset the right way. In that sentence, she was saying to us, we're going to go through some stuff. We're going to have some struggles, but everything is for a reason. And it wasn't until I became a father that I realized why I didn't have a father. Because there's nothing that I want to do more than be a dad. I've always wanted to be a dad. So, and it's crazy because 
all the stuff that my father did in terms of community outreach and helping people, I'm doing that now without even knowing him, without even having a connection to him. I kind of went down that path. But going back, when I was growing up, I didn't have anything I was passionate about. Like, I literally, I was just cool with being a kid. Like, nothing. You know how kids want to be superheroes? <laughs> I did not want to wear tights. Like, I didn't, I was cool. <laughs> I was cool just waking up, getting beat up by my brothers, and just going to school every day and coming home. And it wasn't until my sophomore year of high school, which I was 16 years old, where I discovered something that I fell in love with. Well, actually, I fell in love the first time with Lisa Lisa in the cult jam. That was my freshman year. Yes. Uh, I was in love with her. She was like, baby, <laughs> if I take you home. I was like, yeah, that's my girl. So that was my, that was my first love. <laughs> my second love, uh, my mom is from this small town called Bird's Nest, Virginia. Bird's Nest is about the size of this studio. Population like seven. And I'm related to everybody. And my mom, so far as a boy, 16-year-old boy, I can't even talk to any girls for a week. That was very problematic for me. And on top of the fact that there was just one stoplight and the only form of entertainment was something called a jukebox. And it played one song. That song, what? song was called Strokin. I don't want to sing because it's not, it's not radio, it's not radio appropriate. Um, but just understand the title says it all. So anyway, so one day in Bird's Nest, Virginia, <laughs> I'm sitting on my cousin Carlos's bed and I look under his bed and I find all these newspaper articles. There's a picture of my cousin dunking a basketball. And I start freaking out because I did not know that kids were in the newspaper for sports. I'm like, this dude is like 19. And I'm like, wait a second. I can be famous if I play basketball. And then I looked on his... It wasn't like Michael Jordan or something. No, my cousin. My cousin was my first influence. <laughs> my, I didn't know who Michael Jordan was. Oh, my God. It was all my cousin. And then I looked on his wall and he had 50 senior pictures, like the high school pictures, of the hottest girls I've ever seen in my life. Hottest. And you thought, I'm done. I said, oh, yeah. I said, I found my calling. I'm going to be famous, and I'm going to get a date. So I was like, I'm going to play basketball. Never played ball before in my life. And at that time, my mom moved us from Passaic, New Jersey, which was inner city, to a place called Rockaway. And the place town we lived in was White Meadow Lake. Wow. Keyword white. Right? Like, we went from all black, all Spanish, to only black, no Spanish. Right, so it was a it was a culture shock for me and my brothers. You were literally, and my the only black people there. That's it. Well, my brothers, I would just look yeah. at them and be like, "Oh, more black people," but I was like, "Oh, they're related to me," so that doesn't count. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> so when you're a tall black guy in a white neighborhood, they just assume you can play basketball and can't swim, right? <laughs> and they're right with the can't swim, but they're wrong about the basketball. <laughs> so I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there, and I'm on this, I walk to this basketball court. I find this little Pizza Hut basketball. I put it under my arm. I walk three miles to the basketball court. When my son is older, I'm going to tell him it was 10 miles. But I walk three miles to this basketball court. I look at the hoop, and I say, it's on. Girls, fame, like, it's, it, this is going to be great. I throw the ball up. The ball goes over the hoop and rolls down the hill. And I'm like, oh, crap. Let me try this again. Do it again, same result. Then I realize something. I suck at basketball, like I'm terrible, like I'm god-awful. I've never played before. I'm like a baby deer that got shot in both legs. You're like how old? 16. 16. 16. That's not a good look for a 16-year-old. No, it isn't. No. That's embarrassing as hell. Thank you, Sally. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. Do you want to kick me now? <laughs> I love I love you, too. Is all the pain coming back? Yeah, 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 but that's okay. Let, let it pour in. This is great. <laughs> Go uh, on. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> so as I'm sitting there for the next two hours, uh, not liking myself, like you, right. you don't like the old 16-year-old me. Right. This little five foot eight Filipino guy comes walking towards the court. I cannot make this up. Towards the woods. Like he's coming from the woods. Little five foot eight guy. Okay. And he goes, hi, my name is Ray. Do you want me to show you how to shoot a basketball? Now think about that. Six foot four black You're dude. You're six foot four. He's five half. foot eight. And he wants to teach you how, how to, to play throw basketball. a basketball. Yes. And you said yes. Well, I, I always remember this. Never judge a book by its color. Not the cover, by its color. Right? So people assume and stereotype different colors of people and shades of people. And so I was always open to learning. So the fact that this man would come in and take his, give me his time, I was like, sure, what can he show me? He showed me how to shoot a basketball the right way. And when he left, I still sucked. But I was a little less suckier than I was when he came. So he planted a seed in my head that if I work at this, I can get better. And that's all I needed. And I tell people all the time, like, up in your mind, it's, your, it's a garden. Whatever you plant grows. So if you plant to yourself that you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, whatever, you're not the right shade, whatever, it's going to grow. I plant it in my head that, bro, if you work harder, you can be a basketball player. Yeah. So I went home and I told my mom, I said, mom, I said, I have something to tell you. She said, what's up, baby boy? She still calls me baby boy. I love that. I, I love that. And she's five foot two. She's like this tall, but she'll beat me up. Uh, and I said, mom, I'm going to be a professional basketball player. And my mom looked at me right in the eyes and she goes, that's great, baby. What do you want for dinner? I said, I don't think you heard. I don't know if you understood what I just said, but I and said. And you were dead serious. I was dead serious. You weren't like kind of just saying it. I wasn't joking. I was not smiling like I am right now. I was like, Mom, I'm going to be a professional basketball player. You were like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And she was like, what do you want for dinner? I was like, okay, cool. Uh, roast beef. And I just walked away. And then we had tryouts that junior year. <laughs> we had tryouts. It was a two-hour tryout. And my mom somehow was able to afford me these brand new Nikes. But they weren't really Nikes. They were like bootleg. They were like psyches. Like, so like the, the swoosh was backwards. <laughs> but I didn't care. I was like, you know what? They're new sneakers, whatever. So I'm putting on these psyches. I get, they're like a size too big. I go to this tryout. I am God awful, like God awful, right? The two year, two, two hours are up. They put the list on the team on the wall. I run over to the list. My name is not there. I got cut from varsity. Then one of my boys goes, hey, Cornell, there's another list. It's called junior varsity. <laughs> I'm like, junior varsity, what's that? He goes, you're on that team. Now, the only two other juniors that were on junior varsity was a guy whose first sport was like trumpet. Oh, my God. He was in the marching band. Nothing against the marching band. If you play an instrument, do your thing. And the other guy was about the size of a hobbit. He was like, literally, he's like Frodo's height. He was like. And this is the team you were on. Me, trumpet boy, Frodo. The, we're the only juniors that were on junior varsity. And then what happened? I never played. I never. I sat down on the bench and I handed out water for a whole entire season. And this team is terrible. And I didn't play. And I want to play in the NBA. Right? Not get my MBA. Play in the NBA. With an N, right? So I started to doubt myself. And I tell people all the time, like, never let doubt stop your due, ever. So I just kept working. And even though I was taking small steps, they're still steps, right? So I tell people, even baby steps are steps. So I just kept working. And I was working six hours, seven hours a day. We had a junior prom. That's like the dance where, you know, everybody gets dressed up and glammed up and all that stuff. I shot baskets. Like, I watched the limousines drive past me all the way to the junior prom while I was outside shooting. And then my senior year, everybody makes varsity because there's nothing they can do with you. And I still never played. I still handed out water. And at the end of the season, my coach sat us all down and he was talking about the season. And he was like, Kevin, you were such a great player. And we were 419, mind you. We were terrible. 
he was like, Kevin, you're such a great player. You're the best player on the team, <laughs> which is like saying you're the tallest guy and, you know, whatever. Uh, and then he goes, uh, Anthony, you're going to come back next year. You're going to be phenomenal. He goes, Cornell. Hmm. Like, took, like, hmm. Let me think. Cornell. He goes, you're going to be a great businessman. What? I was like, what the hell did he just say? Did he just say I was going to be a great businessman? He couldn't say anything basketball related. Like, you have nice sneakers or anything. <laughs> and so I put him and his mullet, because he had a mullet. He had like a long mullet. I put him and his mullet on this chip on my shoulder. And I said, I said, you know, forget him. I said, everybody that's telling me I can't do it, I'm going to show them. Now, here's the problem with the chip on your shoulder. When you have a chip on your shoulder, it comes from a negative place. You're trying to prove people wrong. Now, when you stop trying to prove people wrong and start trying to prove yourself right, it's different. Your expectations for yourself should be higher than anybody else's. So if my expectations are the same level as yours, that doesn't make any sense. Like my goals are so high that you never catch them. So I really don't care what you think. So after my senior year, my mom said, baby boy, she's like, we, I can't afford college. And I watched all my classmates. There, there's the pitchers, the senior pitchers. They all had where they're going to school. My senior pitcher was blank underneath. And that really hurt. Like everybody's talking about, I'm going to go to Coastal Carolina. I'm going to go to Syracuse. I'm going to go to here. They're like, Cornell, where are you going to go? I was like, I don't know. I got to figure it out. Keep that thought right there. We're going to continue the story next on Life Beats. I can't wait to hear where this goes next. This is the crazy story <laughs> of Cornell Thomas. He's in the studio uh, telling uh, his life story. But it's all about uh, our purpose and how he found his purpose and now he's helping other people to do it too. It's Life Beats with me, Sally Musa on Pulse 95. Talk about radio, it's Pulse 95. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Talking to Cornell Thomas in the studio right now, and he's just, yeah, left to field is all I'm going to say. Um, it, you were telling us your story about how you had a dream to become a, an NBA basketball player. And and pretty much this is how it's going. Uh, you're trying out at school. You're not getting in uh, to any of the teams. Uh, now college, it's time for college, and you have nowhere to go. Yeah. So what did you do? Well, <laughs> I was sitting home one day, and my mom said, there's a tryout at this school called Centenary College. I said, Centenary College? She's like, yeah, it's like right down the street. I'm taking you to it. So my mom's never seen me play basketball up until this point. So I'm but like, she wants to support you. Yeah, but I didn't want dream. her to see me. Because I'm like, if she sees me play, she's going to disown me. So the gig is up. If Tina Thomas sees me play, the gig is up. Because <laughs> she thinks you're actually really good and worth it. She thinks I'm worth it. I was like, so I'm like, I can't have her come. Anyway, <laughs> long story short, she takes me there. For the next two hours, again, full on baby deer mode. I'm awful. And these kids are better, way better than the high school kids. And so the coach sits down, me and my mom, because he's such a he was such a kind guy. And he goes, Cornell, let's how do I put this? You can come to school here and you can even be on the team, but you're probably never gonna play. Like ever. Like if everybody dies twice, you will probably still not play. And my limited mindset, I was like, yes, you know, I'm gonna have a college jersey, like blah, blah, blah. And I look to my right and my mom has the meanest face on that I've ever seen in my life. Like usually when that face happens, someone's gonna die. And she raises her hand, <laughs> she raises her hand. There's only three of us in the office. <laughs> she raises her hand and the coach is so confused. He's like, Miss Thomas. And she goes, Coach Gemma. And I'm, just for your audience, I'm moving my neck really hard to the left as some black mothers do. 
Coach Gemma, how many players from St. Mary College have gone to the NBA? To the NBA, she asked him. So the coach looks at me like, did he turn into somebody else? And then looks at my mom and he goes, Miss Thomas, none. And my mom rolls her eyes and she was like, oh, like, let's go, baby. You're too good for this school. And I was, I was so embarrassed. I was like, but my mom knew my dream. She knew that I was going to the NBA. So she's like, that's just a natural question in her mind. So we were driving home. We're driving home in silence. And I had an epiphany. My mom believes in me more than I believe in myself. Wow. And that really hurt. Wow. And I tell people, I'm like, if anybody believes in you more than you believe in you, what you want to come to fruition in terms of your dreams are probably not going to happen. Like, you have to be your biggest fan. You have to be your biggest support system. You have to be get yourself on board to what mm-hmm. you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so I told my mom, I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to work two jobs, and I'm going to go to a junior college and play basketball. I'm going to go to a two-year school and play basketball. And so she was like, okay. So I went to this place called Sussex County College. I worked two jobs. The first year, I actually got in the newspaper. Well, it wasn't me. It was my friend. My friend was in the newspaper. I was behind him, but I still was there. I was like, like I like pretty pretty much photobombed the this, this shot, but I cut it out and put it on the, the news uh, on the refrigerator. I was like, I don't care. And then my second, my sophomore year, first team all conference, first team all region, scored like, I don't know how many points a game, third in the state in New Jersey. And everybody was freaking out like, what happened? Like, how did this third, happen? Hang on, third in the state in New Jersey? Of, in scoring, yeah. What? Yeah. You What? Yeah. But if you think about it, like, so Malcolm Gladwell has a book called Outliers, right? Yep. And in his book, he talks about being proficient about at, at anything. If you want to be an expert at anything, you have to put in at least 10,000 hours. 10,000. I put in, to that point, about six hours, six, I don't know, six years of seven hours a day, eight hours a day. That's over 10,000 hours, Right. So it eventually came. No one sees the work it took for you to get there. They just see where you land. So everybody just saw my start and my end, where they thought was my end. They didn't see the middle. They didn't realize, like, when they were partying and doing all the fun stuff, I was working on my game and getting better. So I always say, like, you have to sacrifice what you like to get what you love. And that's very important. I was willing to do that. I was willing to sacrifice it all to become a basketball player. So I got a scholarship to play in North Dakota. And I told my mom, and my mom wasn't surprised. My mom was like, okay, like, you work out every day. Like, you know, she was, she gave me a hug. She was crying, but she was like, of course you got a scholarship. That's how much belief this woman had in me. And I'm in North Dakota. I meet my wife there. My wife was a, uh, Melissa was a basketball player in North Dakota too. I had to make sure that she was good before I started dating her, uh, which was great because she was. She was a good basketball player. And then after I left North Dakota, I came back to New Jersey, and I'm working out with guys that work out in the NBA guys that play overseas and it's me so i have like a 1989 mercury sable that i have to turn the heat on in the summer for it to run and i'm parking next to you know ferraris and you know lamborghinis and all this stuff and there's me like i have headphones on so i can listen to music because my radio doesn't work (laughs) and i'm working out with these guys wow and so my age your your dream is like this close i'm like right there it's happening i'm literally right there like the guys that i see on tv I'm playing with these guys. So I'm like, I'm right here. So I go home one day and I'm on my MySpace for you, all you older folks that had (laughs) MySpace. And I'm probably putting a love song on there for the ladies. And (laughs) I check my email and it's my agent. And he goes, Cornell, you got a contract to play in Portugal. You have to leave in two weeks. So I refresh and I refresh again. I refresh about a hundred more times. And I said, I think this contract says that I'm leaving to play professional basketball in two weeks. I pick up my cousin from school. My mom gets home. I said, Mom, guess what? 
She goes, what, baby boy? I go, I got a contract to play professional basketball. Sally, I swear to you, my mom says, that's great, baby. What do you want for dinner? <laughs> Your mother is something else. She's amazing. That and I'm, I'm like. She's incredible. Yeah. It's like she had so much faith. She knew it was just gonna happen. She She's just like, knew. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. She's like, yeah. So, like, you know, chicken or fish yeah. tonight. Yeah, what do you want? She's like, cool, great. Go play basketball. Go, uh, yeah, obviously. Go do it. Go Yellow. do it. Go to Portugal. Yeah, go to Portugal. See you later. I'm like, wow, this woman. So, we have this big going away party of three people because uh, we didn't have any money. <laughs> we don't even have a cake. We have like a cupcake. It was like, I was like, don't even put the congratulations on it. Just put congrats because the chalations <laughs> is like an extra 250. So, leave the chalations off. We'll be fine. And so, I'm a week away. It's a Sunday. My boys are like, hey, let's go to the court and shoot around. So I'm just shooting around. I'm like, no intention of playing. It's like, okay, let's play three on three. And I'm competitive. So I'm like, okay, cool, let's play. So we're playing. And I go to the basket and I hear a pop. I fall to the ground. So my friends come running over. They pick me up. I try to put weight on my right foot. I can't put any weight on my right foot. Oh, my gosh. So I'm like, okay, I have a decision right now. I either I'm going to drive myself to the hospital or I'm going to just figure it out and play through or whatever. I, I couldn't play through. So I kind of hopped to my car. I drive myself to the hospital, which wasn't smart because it was my right foot. Oof. And then I drag my foot up to the emergency room. And I'm filling out this application uh, for, you know, the emergency room. And I'm not calling my mom because I'm saying to myself, whatever this is, if I call my mom, it makes it real. So I can't call my mom. You're just like, this is going to be fine. Be it, fine. it is just going to be a quick thing. That's it. We're sprain. done. Yep. Ankle sprain. Yeah. And so eventually I called my mom because it, the pain got to the point where it was like, you know, it's getting pretty painful. So my mom, my mom was 30 minutes away from the hospital. She got there in like five. Like, I don't know how many people she killed to get to the hospital, but she got there in five. So Dr. Bradish comes in, this great doctor, and he says, Cornell, I'm, I'm going to grab the back of your calf muscle. If you feel excruciating pain, we have to do surgery on Thursday. Now, this is Sunday. I'm supposed to leave that next Sunday. You got the back of my calf muscle. I feel excruciating pain. To this day, that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I don't remember anything at all. I have no recollection of those. All I remember is Thursday morning being pushed in for surgery. Thursday afternoon being pushed out with a hard cast from the middle of my thigh to the oh end of my gosh. foot. Oh, my gosh. By Thursday evening, my contract was voided. By Friday morning, my mom was kissing me on my forehead on the way to one of the three jobs. I told her she'd never have to work again. Wow. I mean, okay. <laughs> Your dreams have just come crashing down. Mm. We're going to come back after the break in just a moment to uh, finish the story with Cornell Thomas because clearly he wasn't done yet and we want to know what happened next. So uh, stay tuned. It is Life Beats with me, Sally Musa, on Pulse 95. From the heart of Sharjah. From the heart of Sharjah. From the heart of Sharjah. Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Something to talk about. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. 95. Talking dreams and uh, broken dreams with Cornell Thomas, but it doesn't have to be the end of the story, and it definitely wasn't for him. He wanted to be um, a major basketball player, an NBA star. And he was on the cusp of it, and it didn't quite happen. So you were telling your story, uh, Cornell. You were just about to go and play professional basketball in Portugal. And then your your tendon snapped. Yeah. What did you do? I cried. 
Oh, no, after that, <laughs> after I cried. <laughs> so when my mom left, I cried for like hours, but I was in full on like why me mode. Like, why is this happening to me? Like, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I'm good to people. Why would God ever allow this to happen? And then I started thinking about my mom and I started thinking about coming home to the lights being cut off because we couldn't pay the bill. And my mom just walking in and handing out flashlights and lighting candles. Or coming home, we wouldn't have any hot water. My mom would just boil cold water, put it in the bathtub and mix it. My mom was all about solutions. She wasn't about problems. The problem with our world today is people are about the problem. They're not about the solution. So if you go on social media, it's just arguments about the problem. No one's saying, hey, I have an idea. So my mom is that person like, hey, I have an idea. Let's fix it. So I called my best friend up the same day I got in, uh, I got injured. And I said, pick me up at the gym uh, on Monday. And he goes, why am I going to pick you up? I said, we're going to the gym. He goes, what are we going to do at the gym? I said, just pick me up. And for the next six months, I shot from a chair. And oh my God. it didn't make me a better basketball player in terms of, you know, it's going to make me improve. But it took my mind somewhere else. And I was reading something about change in terms of with people that have a, find out they have a terminal illness. They said there's five stages to it. There is uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. So I went through all those stages, right? And when I was in my depression stage, I didn't stay there very long because basketball helped me get through it. And I tell people, when you're in that depression stage, if you just realize and say to yourself that on the other side of this bridge is acceptance, and if you can accept that there's change that needs to be done, you can change. And so I just worked my way back and I worked myself all the way back to where I can play again. And I was in this camp at Birmingham, Alabama. So mm -hmm. I was in Birmingham, Alabama on purpose. And I go to this pro camp and I'm working out and these two guys get kicked out the first day. It was ran very poorly and it was pretty much a money scheme. And so the guys get kicked out, had to be police escorted. Two days later, me and my friend Mike are leaving the camp. As we're leaving the camp, the two guys that got kicked out come in the camp with guns. So we're on the shuttle bus, just about to leave, and these guys start shooting up the gym. Whoa. Yeah. So I get to the hotel, and there's a, my phone light is blinking. And before I pick up the phone to check mm. the messages, my friend is banging on my door. He opens the door. He goes, someone just lost their life, and we are two minutes away from that. So I tell people all the time that, like, God is whatever you believe in. I believe in God. I said, God is going to start giving you signs that... You're not going the way you're supposed to be going. Like you're supposed to be doing something else. And I use the analogy, it's like when you buy a car for the first time, right? When you buy a car for the first time, even when you have the thought, you see it everywhere. So if you can open your mind up to the possibilities that there's more out there than where you are going, you'll start finding direction. So I got this opportunity to coach basketball. So my old coach was uh, now the athletic director of the junior college I went to. He came up to me, he goes, Cornell, do you want to coach basketball? And I said, respectfully, no. And I just kind of walked away. And I was pissed because I'm like, he's trying to say that I can't play. He's trying to say that like, I'll never, I won't get better or whatever. So I was, I was just very tunnel vision focused. So I talked to my girlfriend at the time and, and she's on the phone with me and she's like, baby, I think you'd be a great coach. And I hung up on her and I was like, you did not want to hear that. You I don't didn't hear that. want to, to hear people, you know, saying in other words, you're not going to be a player. Yeah, I'm 26. I've heard people telling me that I was I wasn't going to be a player ever since I started playing basketball. So, to me it was just like these people are, are they're picking a, picking a side and it's not my side. And then what happened? What changed? My mom. <laughs> Again. Of course. She's so, just She's she's I'm she's telling you she's everything. She's, she's everything. Incredible. So, I talked to my mom on the phone and I'm not hanging up on Tina Thomas and my mom said just go for the interview. I said, fine, mom, I'll go on the interview. And I go on the interview, and the coach is talking to me, and all I hear is, 
blah, 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 blah. I'm not even paying you attention. I'm not, I'm not even listening. And two days later, I have a whistle around my neck and 15 guys calling me coach. And these kids are from inner city. Parents dropped them off and said, hey, make my son into a man. And what happened? What, what happened in, in that moment where you suddenly turned into a coach? I had to figure it out. Like I'm doing after I leave here, I'm going to a conference to talk about teamwork and leadership because I was a terrible leader when I first started coaching because I still thought like a player. And I didn't realize the first rule of leadership is you have to love the people that you're leading. And if you don't love them, they won't follow you. That is a, such an important lesson for people to understand. And that's why a lot of companies and businesses fail. That's why teams fail because the person that's running it, they don't realize that that love has to be present. So I started loving, I started learning how to love my team. And when that happened, we started winning games and we started. So I moved on to this place called Blair Academy. And it was like, they had all, they had former NBA players and they have all these guys and I'm an assistant coach there now. And the head coach is great. And he's saying, Hey, I want you to think like a head coach. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to coach division one basketball and I'm going to win a national championship at some point. And then right before my son was born, I started having this big pull, this big shift in the way I was thinking. And I was talking to one of my friends who coaches Division One basketball, and I said, bro, what's your schedule? And he said, well, in-season or out-of-season? I said, in-season. What's your in-season schedule? He's like, oh, I get up at like 5.30. I go to the gym like around 6. He's like, we leave around, you know, 2 in the morning, 1 in the morning. I was like, oh, how about out-of-schedule? He's like, oh, the same thing, but I get up at 7. So I'm like, if I coach Division One basketball, I'll never see my son. I was like, all I wanted to be since I was little was a father. Mm. My son's named Bryce Thomas, BT, after my father, Bobby Thomas, BT. He has the initials. I said, there's no way I'm not going to be present in my son's life. And one day, I'm on social media, and I'm going through my Facebook, and it's the most negative stuff I've ever seen in my life. It's not even during an election. It's just super negative. And I said to myself, I said, people are waking up and drinking coffee and looking at this. I was like, this has to change. So I had a book of positive quotes. I would take a quote out, and I'll put it on Facebook. People started to like it. So I'm like, okay, this is dope. This is great. People are liking the quote. And then one day I lost the book. It's 5 a.m. I can't find the book anywhere. I'm freaking out. So I make my own quote. And people still like it. So I was like, well, screw the book. I'm just going to make my own quote. And like six months go by. And one of my boys goes up to me. and goes, bro, where do you get your quotes? And I was like, well, you know, actually, I make them myself. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, you should write a blog. I said, that's such a good idea. What the hell is a blog? And he goes, I can write one up for you right now. So he, he like set up the WordPress site and I wrote my first blog. It was called Risk. And it was all about, of course, taking chances. And it was terrible. And um, I started writing and I started to see the power of words. And people started to contact me and say, I love your blog last Saturday. I was feeling this way and it made me feel this way. And then people contact me about my quotes and say the same thing. So I said, well, why don't I write a book? And a close friend of mine was like, how are you going to write a book? I was like, I'm going to ask Google. I'm going to see what she says. Because Google is definitely a girl. She has way too much information to be a guy. <laughs> so I'm going to ask Google or Googlia, whatever her name is. I'm not judging. And Google was like, this is how you write a book. Well, actually, I don't know if the robot voice. But, you know, Google told me. <laughs> and I, I wrote my you first book. You just write a book. Called The Power of Positivity, Controlling Where the Ball Bounces. And it was all about positivity and positive mindset because that's what I needed to get through what I went through. And to endure, if I didn't have a positive mindset, if I wasn't raised by this lioness, I wouldn't have gone through. I, wouldn't have, I would have been a statistic. This is um, the, the biggest thing for me when, um, when hearing your story and hearing you talk about your mom 
as we can see, she is responsible for every single turning point in your life. Yes. Which is extraordinary. Um, you know, but, but what we're talking about today is all about purpose. And somebody looking at her or somebody looking at another mum who is raising her kids, who is not on social media, who is not an entrepreneur, she's not leading some big organization or whatever, might completely miss the fact that she has profound, profound purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because people think that purpose means you have to save the world. And that's not what purpose is. Purpose is you might have to just save your house. My mom's purpose, I was being interviewed for the show and I got the chance to interview my mom. What she hates being on camera. She does not like the limelight. She thinks what she did was normal, like everybody does, like raises five kids with no money. I can't wait to meet yeah, her. Yeah, you will meet her for sure. Um, and so I said, Mom, what was your dream? Like, what did you want to be? What did you want to do? And she said, baby boy, she goes, when your dad passed away, my only purpose in life was to make sure that you guys were raised the right way. Now think about purpose in this way. If my mom didn't have that purpose, who would I be right now? Now I'm helping people on a big magnitude, right? My mom helped her house. So in her helping her house and taking care of her house, that allowed me and gave me the tools to help the planet. Yeah. Right? So purpose, uh, when I talk about purpose, a lot of people don't realize like, well, there's not a reason why I exist. I say, okay, well, let's go through numbers. And because people understand numbers, they look at numbers like, okay, well, this has to be fact. Okay, well, let's go through numbers. To win the lottery, one in 175 million chance. One in 175 million. That is extreme odds. That's... You can't really think of an analogy where it's a 175 million odds. To be born is one, one in 400 trillion. Trillion with a T. For each of us to be alive today. For us to be alive. So you can't sit here and tell me there's not a reason for it. The problem is either you haven't discovered it yet or you're too blind, right? Or too overstimulated to ask yourself the question, why am I here? Thank God my mom knew why she was on the planet. And thank God that I realized... 30 some years down the line, why I was created. I was mm. created to help people realize that they have purpose and there's, they have meaning and there's a reason that they exist. I want to come back in, in just a moment to, to ask you, you know, how do we begin? How do we start looking at what our purpose is? Why each of us are here? Uh, and uh, if you've got questions for uh, Cornell, please do send those in for Life Beats on Pulse 95. You're listening to Pulse 95. Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95 with a story to tell. Life Beats Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Talking purpose, life's purpose with the one and only Cornell Thomas. You may not be familiar with his name, but you... Um, I have a feeling we'll be hearing so much more about you. Um, an incredible story, an amazing story. Um, and somebody who features very, very prominently in it is uh, Tina Thomas. A big shout out to Tina Thomas. Shout out to Tina. What, what did you call her? Tina the Great? Tina Thomas the Great. Tina Thomas the Great. In my third book, there's a extraordinary, uh, there's a chapter called Tina Thomas the Great. In my first book, there is a letter to my father. That I wanted to write when I was younger, that I that I didn't have the word I didn't have the words to write it. So yeah, just a big shout out to the people in my life that have helped shape it and change it. A lot of people think uh, I don't really have a purpose in life. Mm-hmm. I really don't know, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing here. I don't have it figured out. 
what do you say to those people? Like you were just saying, you know, the, the, the chances of us just being alive here today are so extraordinary. Just that in itself is a miracle that we are here. Yeah. Where do you go from there, though? Yeah. So if you don't know what you want to do in life or who you want to be in life, this is a, a drill that I saw that I thought was f- pretty phenomenal. Is you get a piece of paper, you put a line straight down the middle of it. And on one on the top of one side, you put talent, you know, what you're talented at. And then on the other side, you put passion, what you're passionate, at, like what, you know, what fuels you. And so for me, I'm talented at speaking. One of my passions are is helping others, right? And you put, try to list 10 things on both sides. And sometimes you don't get to 10. You might get to five, you might get to three. But you X out all of them until you get to one on each side. And that might have an answer of what you're supposed to do. And sometimes if you still can't figure out what you're, why you're here, it might be to pour into someone else's purpose, right? And that's what that's missed a lot. Like a lot of times if you're not passionate about something and you convince yourself you're not passionate, Maybe join someone else's passion project and you'll find yours. That's a great, great tip. That Look for others who are doing things yeah. that draw you to that. Uh, and then you'll find your passion as well. But uh, you're on social media, you're on Instagram, yeah. you're on uh, all of the different platforms. But um, and I, I was going through your uh, Instagram and there's lots of you know <laughs> shots of you kind of uh, leading workshops and giving speeches and whatever. But my favorite, favorite video of yours um, that was on Instagram <laughs> is of you sitting in your kid's bedroom. You yeah. have two kids. Yes, Bryce and Naya. Bryce is five and Naya is three. Bryce and Naya. Yeah. Um, and you were literally like hanging out with the toys, the soft toys in their bedroom. <laughs> uh, I'm sure like reading stories to your kids, yeah. you know, in the middle of the night, putting them to bed. Yeah. You know, the, doing the stuff that parents do yeah. every single day. Mm-hmm. And what you said, I love so much, so much what you said in that video. Don't try and be the life of the party. Yeah. That is not always where it's at. Yeah. So true. So I'm real. I don't know how to be anything but me. And honestly, I just don't care if you like me or not. Because my kids love me. I think my wife loves me sometimes. And I know Tina Thomas does. So I'm just going to be myself. Because who I am is someone that loves helping others and spreading love. So if you don't love that, then I'm cool with you not loving me. Like Not everybody's going to love you. Not everybody's going to appreciate you. Not everybody's going to understand you. But don't spend your life trying to be something that you're not or trying to appease other people. Spend your life appreciating the one life that you were given. God, Cause, Yeah, Yeah, because oftentimes we get confused that, that oh, that should be what I'm doing yeah. because you see other people getting recognition yeah. for doing certain things or they're on social media yeah. or whatever it is. And that confuses <laughs> a lot of people. Comparison is a killer. That's why I don't compare anybody. I compare myself to anybody but the person in the mirror. I compare myself to me. Every day I want to be a better version of me. I was really good yesterday. Oh, man, I'm so much better today. Wait until tomorrow, right? Like, that's how I compare myself to. So when I'm hanging out with my kids and just being silly and being goofy, I don't care if Tony Robbins doesn't do that. I don't care if Les Brown doesn't do it. I'm not them. Someone tried to compare. They're like, you're going to be the next. I said, let me stop you right there. I was like, I appreciate you, but don't ever, like, I wouldn't, I'm not the next anybody. I'm Cornell Thomas. I don't idolize human beings. I idolize my mother. That is it. So, yeah, that's some Jersey talk for you. If we can all be just a, a quarter of what Tina Thomas is. I'm still, that's what I try to fight for every single day. Phenomenal. To be that, to be a quarter of what that woman is and, and has been for me. And if I can do that, if I can get to that quarter mark, 
I've lived a very good life. Just finally, just in the last literally minute that we've got left, just your two beautiful kids. What do you try to teach them every day? What do you try to pass on to them? What do you say to them? Yeah, I say I say I love you a lot to them. I always tell my son Bryce to look after his sister, always. I said, you know, I always want you to know where your sister is. And we don't use words like can't or try in my house. If you say can't in my house, you do two push-ups. Everybody. I don't care that my daughter's three years old. Do two push-ups. We do not use the word can't. In that context, like you're not able to. So what 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 do you encourage them to say instead? Uh, I'm not able to do it at the moment, but yet. I will be able to. I can't do it yet. Yeah. So whatever, but don't say can't. Are you doing push-ups? They made me do push-ups the other day, and I wasn't even using can't in that context. <laughs> I said something like, "Oh, well, she possibly can't do this." Like, and I was talking about somebody else, and I was like, "That's push-ups, Daddy." I was like, "You little." So I did them. So sweet. Yeah, they're so ama- sweet. their kids are amazing. It's a be- it's a gift. They're a gift. Isn't it amazing what For they sure. can teach you? Yeah. All, How much they day. can inspire you and teach you yeah. and my daughter's crazy. So all my gray hairs are from my daughter. Thank you, Naya. I love you. Kisses. <laughs> Connell Thomas. <laughs> it's just been a blast. You have to come back. Oh, for sure. I'll be back in like a, a month or so. We've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, we'll have a four hour show next time. <laughs> I think we need to. I think we need to. It's been such a pleasure and thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank on you for Life having Beats. me. It's been brilliant. That's it for us on the show today. Uh, coming up tomorrow on Life Beats, we are going to be talking video game addiction with Dr. Sarah Rasmi. She's going to be in uh, tomorrow to talk about that and plenty more. Have a fantastic day and see you then. From the heart of Shaka, Pulse 95.